Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 495 of Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. We thank you for joining us today. This is going to be a short topics episode, and uh, appropriately, as it were, we're short one co-hosts. <laughs> so it's going to be short all around. And uh, I think I think news is also a little in short supply too, but that's okay. We'll carry on. So Cheryl W five M O O is not here, but I'm Russ K five, and Bill's like plinging, or is that? Yeah, uh, I know. I'm always I'm I'm in bad form as usual. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, par for the course, anyway. And cons- considering we haven't been able to record at the usual time because of my network issues, you know, not- nothing's really going right. But anyway. So as I was uh, beginning to say before the plingy plingy, uh, Cheryl, W5MOO, is not here, but I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, so let's go ahead and get down into it. We don't have a lead topic today, but we do have uh, a substitute lead topic, I guess. I guess the the first topic that we talk about is the lead topic. Sure. <laughs> maybe maybe we shouldn't me. call it lead topic. <laughs> maybe we should call it like the special, special super awesome topic. <laughs> if, we, if we have one of those. But anyway, let's start with some amateur radio. And the first thing we have is sort of a technology topic, not really about, or I mean, it is about amateur radio, but it's not amateur radio. Anyway, let's just do it. The voice of chat GPT. Everybody Sorry. knows what chat GPT is, right? Yeah. Yeah. The voice of chat GPT is now on the air. That's how it ties into ham radio. Isn't that interesting? Lewis Day writes in this Hackaday article. I thought we weren't doing Hackaday because it's all because it's all advertising. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Get on with it, right? Uh, AIs can now apparently carry on passable conversation, depending on what you classify as passable conversation. The quality of your local pub's banter aside, an AI stuck in a text box doesn't have much of a living quality, huh? <laughs> Are you not familiar with Chat GPT? Come on. No, I know. Is this is this actually written by Chat GPT? Is that why it's weird? No, it was written by a human, but that's probably that probably explains even more. Okay. <laughs> uh right, human. An AI that holds a conversation aloud though is another thing entirely. William Franzen has whipped up just that on amateur radio. And there's a, apparently an embedded video in the article if you should go check that out. The concept is straightforward, if convoluted. A D-Star digital voice transmission is received, which is then transcoded to regular digital audio. The audio then goes through a voice recognition engine, and that is used as a question for a chat GPT AI. The AI's output is then fed to a text-to-speech engine, and it speaks back with its own voice over the airwaves. William demonstrates the system, keying up a transmitter to ask the AI how to get an amateur radio license. He gets a pretty comprehensive reply in return. 
The result is that radio amateurs can call in to chat GPT with questions and can receive actual spoken responses from the AI. We can imagine within the next month, AIs will be chatting it up all over the airwaves with similar setups. After all, a few robots could only add more diversity to the already rich and varied ham radio community. That seems like it's tongue-in-cheek, but <laughs> video after the break. So that uh, came from Hackaday. So how is this different from just like hooking up a, you know, the A-L-E-X-A to <laughs> ham radio? I mean, <laughs> well, you know, it's essentially the same-ish, I guess, except for that, you know, I don't know, maybe you can uh, call into, uh, you know, one of those services and order some fine goods from Amazon for somebody else. That would be, uh, <laughs> that would be the difference. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a little chat GPT fatigue because everybody's talking about integrating it everywhere and frankly i just i'm i'm not terribly impressed with it myself just because it's just well it's a bit creepy but that's besides the point <laughs> not to mention all the lawsuits against it because of uh, lifting content from everywhere else to uh, obviously train it and learn stuff but then again don't we all lift content in our brains doing a very similar thing um but that's, uh, that's how all the ais work because it's the only way they can have any kind of knowledge is to seed them from somewhere so yeah, I'm not sure it's a, an appropriate use of amateur radio, but hey, you know, this is, you know, experimenters paradise. So why not? Why not throw one more thing in there? I'm, I'm just interested under, I guess, uh, whether it would be a control station, a remote station, or what it qualifies as. I guess it would be. Yeah, I'm not sure. Does chat GPT have a text to speech engine? Does it, does it actually speak by itself? Okay. I'm pretty sure you can. Well, that's yeah, pretty easy to hook into, obviously. Yeah, you <laughs> could. A, I was just curious <laughs> if it had its own native one or if it was. Using well, I mean, else. as I discuss here is that they're, they're talking about it does do a conversion and then pushes it into the chat GPT AI and then the AI's output is back, to, you know, reverses back to a text to speech so it can produce it on the air. Um, that probably works fine because chat GPT, if you've ever used it, it, it looks like it's a typing human because it types back to you which is probably the creepiest part, but <laughs> I'm like, not really sure what the purpose of that is. Maybe to make it feel more, more human, less AI like, I don't know, but uh, you know, it already has the full response before it starts uh, typing towards you. So uh, it seems disingenuous in general. Well, it's just like any IVR is disingenuous, especially <laughs> the robot ones. So um, I tried to use chat GPT the other day and it said like, I couldn't get into it because it was offline for some reason. I don't remember, but I've not actually used it myself. I've heard yeah, it I was trying to get it to write a whole episode for us. So we don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> we can just, <laughs> I'd be curious to see what the text chat is. Chat GPT, I need a deep dive on this random topic. <laughs> and, uh, give us the full, like, uh, we need to take an hour, <laughs> you know, see how well it does. Oh. Audio died. Hang on. Let me restart it. Stupid bot. The okay. bot is special. Let's see if they uh, chat back here. It looks like they're typing. Okay. It's back. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it should be. Technology sucks. And now we want to hook AI into it to do it for us, right? <laughs> well, maybe it could automatically restart the bot when it goes down. Yeah. <laughs> that would be useful, I suppose. <laughs> All right. So where were we? Oh, yeah, we were done with chat GPT for now and moving on to our next amateur radio topic, which Bill will fill you in on. Yeah. So, uh, the ARDC or, uh, so I've been given some, some, uh, you know, how we like to make words out of these, uh, 
acronyms. Um, uh, uh, Dan suggested I, I pronounce it our dick. <laughs> or if we want to throw a pirate spin on it, it can be our dick. So our dick has a, had, had a January community meeting as they uh, generally have, uh, I believe maybe it's quarterly or might be, you know, a couple times a year. But anyways, I had a, a Zoom call. I, I didn't get to join it live. I had the grandkids, so I did watch the uh, the video version, which we uh, posted uh, links to in the show notes, so you can always check that out. Uh, the meeting covered uh, basically uh, some introductions for the new TAC members. That's the Technical Advisory Committee, and then the uh, so that's new uh, GAC members. Uh, the people at GAC, or, or no, the uh, the Grant Advisory Committee members. Some people shuffled some seats, and they have some new members in there. Uh, also, the new technical director was uh, introduced. Uh, they uh, talked about their 2022 grants update, how they did for the year. They did 101 grants, uh, distributing uh, about $8 million. So that's, uh, that's pretty awesome uh, from that update. Uh, they also talked a little bit about where they're going to be at, so where you can see them face-to-face. They'll be at Hamcation coming up in February. Oh, I guess that's pretty soon, like in a week or two. <laughs> uh, HamSci Workshop, they'll be there uh, in March. Uh, Kisha Today Virtual Ham Expo, which is coming up again in March. And, uh, of course, they'll be at Hamvention uh, like they were last year. So uh, if you want to meet those folks uh, face-to-face, they're a great team of people. So uh, uh, definitely uh, definitely uh, put those on your calendar if you're going to be at those events to uh, stop by and say hi. Uh, they also did a big 44 net assessment. Uh, a company, uh, 2P is the name of the company, it was contracted to do an assessment from the uh, users of the 44 net. And they got uh, quite a bit of responses back, more than they uh, thought they would. So uh, that's good. They didn't really uh, go into much detail of uh, direction and commitments for changes with regards to the 44 net uh, at this point. But they did go over uh, the results of the survey. And that, of course, is also linked in the show notes. So, yeah, if you're uh, if you're interested in any of that, interested in getting a grant, interested in seeing what kind of projects they've been granting, um, anything like that, plus their annual report. It's all linked in the show notes. So, uh, check that out and, uh, maybe catch the next ARDC or ARDIC meeting <laughs> to be announced at some date in the future. Probably I'm thinking June or something like that. <laughs> ARDIC as opposed Ardic. to Ardic. your dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway lots of lots of links will be in the show notes about that lots of interesting stuff and uh, the ardc continues to plow on giving through money which is nice i guess <laughs> still have it did the um awrl thing club thing is that still going uh as far as i know i haven't looked to see if they have a 2023 grant cycle but um obviously they finished up last year's grant cycle um yeah i would just check the awrl for that if uh you're interested in a in a club grant yep we're gonna do that i i gotta get off my ass and do some stuff here <laughs> uh real soon but anyway all right moving on we do have another amateur radio topic and that is the awrl director in conflict of interest oh no from the notes of the committee meeting in november Whereas the AWRL Ethics and Elections Committee, E&E, has determined in accordance with its authority and duties the procedures defined by the AWRL's bylaws and in consultation with the AWRL Connecticut Council that the director, Rhea Jiram, Hiram, Hiram, failed to make a full, transparent, and timely disclosure of a potential conflict of interest between himself and the AWRL. 
that director Hayram has created an actual and ongoing conflict of interest through the creation and publication of a book which competes with one or more AWRL publications. Oh, no. Whereas, despite several requests from E&E to Director Harem, no information was provided by Director Harem, Director Harem, Director Harem. Is this written by ChatGPT? Yeah. Uh, yeah, To mitigate any findings. It is therefore resolved that Director Hiram. Just keep pronouncing it differently every time. Yeah. (laughs) J-Ram. Be recused in accordance with recusal level one as defined by the AWRL bylaws, section 46D1. This recusal shall apply during any discussion and or consideration of AWRL publications and training strategies, contents, marketing, and or plans, including discussions of actual or anticipated competing publications. It is further resolved that Director J-Ram is hereby notified that violation of the conditions of Recusal or failure to meet the fiduciary obligations and requirements set forth in AWRL governing documents and in Connecticut law may cause this inquiry to be reopened. Boy, I see you put a link to his, his, her, 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 her book. Her, her, her book. Yeah, Rhea. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Rhea could be a he. Is, I mean, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, you got to be up in your AWRL stuff, I guess. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm a member. That's as far as I go. <laughs> yeah, Riem's uh, one of the newer directors. Uh, kind of came from the uh, shakeup of transparency and stuff like that, which is kind of funny because Ria wasn't very transparent that she had this book in process. <laughs> what's what's the senator's name? George Carl George Carl. What the hell's the name? Like the one who lied about everything? No, oh, that's in New York. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if this just seems like it's rampant nowadays, even in the AWRL. <laughs> it's in Tuland too, so it's it's basically well, the same yeah, it's thing, all the right? Same place, you know, right? You know, that's no surprise. You know, Northeast. You know, <laughs> just kidding. George Santos. George Santos. Santos. Yes, yes, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if George Santos is moonlighting as Rhea Hiram. Yeah. Well, I've seen them both. I mean, maybe because you know George was you never like, seen him supposedly in the same place, drag, right? So. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. He's supposedly an exotic dancer in Brazil or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, this was kind of floating around the inter interwebs, and it's it's fun to read all the the random comments and stuff like that. A lot of people were wondering why why this matters to the AWRL, and and I guess most people forget the fact that like the AWRL funds itself through not only memberships, but publications. And it is generally a publication company first uh, as a nonprofit. And that's their big, uh, you know, big money drivers doing these, uh, you know, handbooks and study guides and question pools and everything else. So uh, to have a, uh, a director actually put out a, uh, a study guide for the technician exam, I believe that's what it was, if I remember correctly. I won't click on the link to Amazon again, because then I'll buy something. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, so it makes complete sense. I mean, I'm a member of a couple of different boards, and we do have governing bylaws that are pretty clear about putting yourself in a conflict of interest. And it's just uh, uh, obviously a little due diligence wasn't done by Rhea in her her, uh, preparations for this. Now, you know, granted, these books probably are, you know, in development for multiple years and, you know, but still it should have been disclosed at some point, but you know, I mean, this is nothing more than a, you know, a little slap on the wrist or whatever. So it means that basically she can't participate in any of the uh, discussions about publications and stuff like that, which of course is a big part of the AWRL. So it uh, kind of, 
puts her in a position that's not really effective, I guess, as a director. So I'm sure there will be more things that will come from this, possibly in a future director election and whatnot. Yep. All right. We'll see more more controversy at the AWRL. I guess somewhere in there they're supposed to do like advocacy and uh, like legal stuff too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all in their bylaws. It's all published. I mean, you know, they're a nonprofit company, so everything is public, public, very public. All right. Very good. So let's move on from amateur radio specific topics and get into some open source. And Bill's going to tell us some of the downsides of open source culture. Don't, don't we run through this like once every like 18 months or something? Yeah. yeah. I'm almost wondering if these, these articles are on like repeat to, uh, republish themselves or whatnot. But anyway, this is, uh, this is an article by InfoWorld. Uh, you know, totally legit news source. So totally not coming from chat GPT or anything else like that. Um, this talks about the seven downsides of open source culture. So open source passion fuels developer creativity, learning and community, but it's no Shangri-La. Here are seven pitfalls to consider before joining an open source project. Uh, number one, open source doesn't work with the cloud. Um, many of the, <laughs> many of the current open source licenses were crafted before the cloud. And, uh, basically what this point gets into is the fact that, uh, many open source projects get, uh, swallowed into the cloud and uh, have licensing issues downstream or viability issues with, uh, any kind of profitability or money and stuff like that, you know, uh, you can look at MongoDB, you know, MySQL and many other uh, many other products, Redis, I guess would be one. Is that one too? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> All these, uh, little, uh, things that we take advantage of in our cloud deployments, uh, you know, are, are sort of originally open source projects and they have maintainers that don't get to reap the benefits of being part of the cloud. And that's kind of what they point at with this particular item. Number two, open source has a diversity issue. Uh, open source diverse uh, developers can be an edgy group, brusque, distracted, opinionated, and downright mean. We're looking at you, Linus. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, all, I mean, as we've discussed in open source projects, uh, they all spawn from the origination of people uh, uh, wanting to solve their own problems. And normally it's one person's problem. So, uh, normally there is no diversity in a group of one, but as people join that group, uh, things can get, uh, you know, opinionated for sure. Uh, number three, community takes time to build and maintain. Duh. I'm not even going to go over that one. Four, open source mentorship is a surprisingly rare. Um, I, I disagree with this, but they say along similar lines, many developers are happy to share their code with anyone, but that doesn't mean they want to help others actually learn. Uh, you know, there's, there's probably some to this. Um, there's art we know, we know there are developers in open source projects that won't take, you know, uh, pull requests and stuff like that, uh, because they're not interested in the supporting features and stuff like that, that aren't of interest to themselves. Uh, but this is why in GitHub, you have that little button that says fork, fork, make your own fork. So you can fix all that. Uh, number, what is it? Number five. Yeah. Five. Even diehards need paychecks. Of course, the majority of open source developers are idealists who aren't motivated by fame or fortune, but they still need to eat and sleep under a roof. And again, some of these projects are not for sale specifically. <laughs> They're not looking for money. They're just looking to share solutions to a problem that they had. So, uh, yeah. Uh, number six, nothing is really free. And as Richard Stallman liked to say when he wanted to create software that was, that was quote, free as in speech, but not free as in beer. Uh, and number seven, some projects shouldn't be open source. 
Uh, open source versions are good for code that's used by a wide, wide class of developers who can help develop the code together. In some cases, though, the exchange of money is simpler and ultimately more sustainable way of organizing the work to making software. And again, this points specifically <laughs> at, at uh, always having a product that you want to monetize. Um, so again, this is a business, uh, I, I guess a business, uh, publication, the info world. So it's always going to be geared towards, uh, you know, everybody's writing open source software for enterprise shops. I'm, I'm certain that's how they think the world actually turns, but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, uh, definitely a slanted version of what the uh, open source source culture, uh, has as downsides. But, uh, like, like you said, this has been repeated multiple times and I don't know. I just, <clears throat> I was looking for something to put in here that wasn't too technical. So, <laughs> uh, back to point number four for a second. I think it's a case of a lot of stuff gets put into open source because it's a project that someone had a specific use case for. So they built it, put it out into the, you know, the Git or the GitLab or the GitHub sphere and it's out there. And then when people want support for it, they, don't get it because the developer really didn't have support in mind when they put it out there. In a lot of cases, it's just like, I wrote this thing for me. If you want to use it, here you go. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, figure it out. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a case of they're deliberately putting stuff out there and not supporting it or anything like that. I think it's just a, a time crunch in a lot of cases for developers. All right. I, Moving on to the next thing, System76 in there, immutable base Pop! OS. I saw some articles about this, but I never got a chance to read them. So so what are we talking about here? Yeah, I didn't really read an article either, but, uh, you know, this is uh, coming along the same lines as you see a lot of the, a lot of distributions like I'm thinking Fedora, Silverblue, I believe that's their immutable base distribution. Uh, Pop! OS is basically working on the same thing. Uh, there's a lot of speculation on why they would want to do this. Um, a lot of people, well, I'm not going to say a lot of people, <laughs> some people, <laughs> you know, you know, when you have these kind of immutable base OSs, they tend to rely more on, um, things like flat packs, app images, snaps and stuff like that. Um, some people, including myself, don't really like those. <laughs> at all uh and tend to steer away from those uh obviously your cell phones are all immutable based operating systems this is what this is what protects it from uh, an application doing nefarious things to your operating system so essentially that's the whole point it's it's they're they're working on an immutable base so they would have an operating system that can't be tampered with by an application regardless of how you bring it onto the system whether that be compiled or or whatnot um or a flat pack and stuff like that so uh it's just interesting <clears throat> not really uh horribly newsworthy but uh you know it's always always kind of interesting when uh when they uh when a project tackles something uh different different like this yeah absolutely i'm i'll be interesting to see how it is because i do have one machine here running pop os because we we declared it the best <laughs> So I had to have one up, uh, running it. So um, let's see where that goes. But anyway, something to look into as time goes on. 
And uh, so my my prediction for you uh, distro hopping has has already proven itself true, and we're just barely into February. So you've uh, you've looked at some other distributions uh, with an eye towards Linux and the Hamshack readiness. So what have you found here? Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I didn't get to actually uh, to, to to download or run these. Actually, I downloaded Blend, but <clears throat> anyway, I found a couple of different distributions. Uh, one of them is sort of gaming centric, and the other one's just more of an interesting uh an interesting blend let's say uh the first one is blend os and what blend os is it's a seamless blend of all linux distributions <clears throat> blend os is based on arch linux but you can use any app from any of the distros supported by blend os or even install a desktop environment from any of the distributions and use any of the distributions in standalone sessions <clears throat> Sorry, I'm like getting all flimmed up for some reason. Uh, you can use uh, apt, apt-get, DNF, and yum, Pac-Man, and yay, all together from the same BlendOS shell, uh, just like you'd use them on their native distributions, Ubuntu, Fedora, and Arch, respectively. Uh, so that's one of the OSs. I actually downloaded the ISO, and uh, it wouldn't boot into the virtual box, so I didn't really go much further than that. But I will circle back and uh, and take a look at that in a little bit more detail just to kind of see uh, what that looks like. Uh, the other I'm really curious I about if, like, you apt install something and then yum install something, does it enter package manager dependency check <laughs> against itself or the, I mean, I, that's, that's the whole point craziness. of it. It should. It should. But or like, just does it, does it install everything from Flatpak, regardless of the, <laughs> of the operating system? That way, everything's sandboxed and there can be no problems. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's why I really wanted to take a look at it, because I wanted to kind of see if you try to install the same package from three different... <laughs> Different yeah. distributions, what actually occurs. So, um, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll get there eventually. So that's, that's kind of why I put it on my radar. <clears throat> the other one is, uh, Pika OS and, uh, Pika OS is a gaming focused Linux distribution focusing on the ease of use and high compatibility using the know-how from Nobara, which we have talked about. Nobara is that, uh, <clears throat> very colorful Fedora distribution. I think I talked about in November, or December. It's combined with a uh, an Ubuntu base. Uh, Pico OS is almost unrivaled in software compatibility. That that's to be determined, but that's what they say. <clears throat> Pico OS game utilities uh, is a package that they have. It's a meta package that installs Steam, Lutris, Go Overlay, G Overlay, I guess, uh, Mango HUD, Wine, Wine Tricks, VK Basalt, and other gaming centric tools. Haha, <laughs> that's why I was interested in it. Uh, Microsoft True Type fonts for better Windows font emulation. Blender for creating 3D images, OBS Studio for streaming, KDN Live for non-linear video editing, Krita for painting, and LibreOffice for productivity. So <clears throat> this is another, uh, you know, gaming-focused OS or distribution that, uh, yeah, I was going to take a look at. I don't know. I don't know if I'd actually install games on it or whatnot because I'm super happy with Garuda. So <laughs> I think most of my distro hopping now is just going to be inside of uh, VMs for sure. Uh, I still have one machine that's running pop OS, uh, but uh, it's, yeah, but that's about all it does. <laughs> all right. So anyway, we're, we're kind of on a gaming path. We've, we've, I've been gaming my friggin' head off lately, <laughs> but only because Minecraft was, is way more addictive than I remember it being back in the day. So but with that in mind, you do have an update on your your gaming system as you've been working on it, your your Garuda based computer. So 
tell us where you're at with that. Yeah. So this is sort of an update to that last episode where we get sort of went into a semi deep dive of uh, the gaming PC and what I've been working on with the gaming project. And this is a Garuda dragonized gaming edition uh, version of uh, Linux. And I did notice when I, I did install Doom and I talked about I didn't get that installed the last time. So I did get it. I did get it installed and I started running through, uh, you know, the first level and I noticed I was getting some crackles inside of the audio and it seemed pretty consistent. So I, uh, I Googled around for some pipe wire issues with the same thing. And sure enough, there was a, uh, uh, an additional edit I needed to do in my Etsy security limits D config or your limits.conf, depending upon what system you're using. I just added a conf file for my audio and basically setting the at audio to uh, nice of negative 20 and all the crackles went away and the game played you know, flawlessly, except for I was getting killed by the, <laughs> by the zombie thingies or whatever the monsters or aliens. I can't even remember what they are. But, uh, anyway, so that, uh, that went away real nice. I did end up having a kernel issue. This is no surprise for you, Arch fans. Um, <laughs> Zen did have an issue with a kernel. And unfortunately, I was, I updated both systems at the same time and I rebooted them. And all of a sudden, my desktop was sort of like, totally unresponsive in fact most stuff was unresponsive um and i was concerned i was gonna have to whack the entire computer again uh, i did kind of uh, look around and i found out that there was an issue with zen at the moment and i unfortunately didn't set up a backup kernel on my uh on my installation um uh, using like the lts kernel and luckily with the uh, garuda boot thing they have a simple one click uh, chew root your install. <laughs> so I was able to chew root in and, uh, and, uh, install Linux dash LTS and Linux LTS headers and then reboot my system. And all of a sudden I had another option in my, uh, kernel, uh, configuration or my grub configuration. So I was able to boot the LTS kernel and I was back in business. Uh, no harm, no foul, but, uh, it does remind me that I should remind you that you should install an LTS kernel if you're using some kind of fancy schmancy kernel with, you know, real time settings and all other kinds of latency additions that may or may not, may or may not work in all instances for you. Um, and I quickly did exactly the same thing here on the shack PC, which I'm using right now to record this, uh, just to have it as a backup. It doesn't have the issue with the Zen. At least it didn't show up, uh, probably because this is such an old i7 that it doesn't really care about some of the changes that really affect the newer architecture, which, of course, my two shack PC or my two gaming PCs are fairly new hardware. So, uh, so yeah, definitely install that second uh, LTS kernel, uh, and that will prevent you from getting semi-locked out of your machine uh, with any kind of bugs with Zen. And I haven't, I haven't rebooted back into Zen yet to see if uh, those issues have been resolved, but, um, yeah, the LTS kernel works fine with everything. So. All right. Sounds good. I've, I've been doing the evil thing. I've been gaming on a windows box, but <laughs> Boo. I, <clears throat> well, yeah, no. I have one upstairs too. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I have Minecraft on the, on an Ubuntu machine, you know, outside. So when yeah. I'm out there, yeah. I use that. And it's all good. Now, I was going to put in another topic. I didn't get around to it. I wanted to talk about Open Connect. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, I, I've heard of the word. <laughs> <laughs> it's not coming to mind, though. 
uh, it was interesting because it what it is it's a VPN client for all of your like commercial grade VPNs like Juniper SSL and Fortigate and Cisco and and all that. It's a uh, and it integrates with like Network Manager and stuff like that. So that's kind of neat. Uh, I definitely want to you know get into that. So I guess when we do another short topics episode, that I'm going to talk about that. But I wanted to get it out there in case anybody uses those kind of VPNs and wanted to have some direct Linux integration with them. Uh, check out Open Connect, and we'll talk about it more in a future episode. Cool. All right. Well, that's all we've got for topics. Uh, we're down to announcements and feedback. I did not have any feedback from the last episode, and uh, I don't think we've had anything that we haven't wrapped up since uh, the, one, the last one before the end of the year. So I think we're good there. Uh, I've been looking at like what's in the the bank, our funds, with the fact that Hamvention 2023 is coming up in about three months, a little over three months. I uh, say now it's like 15 weeks or something. Um, we're we're looking at doing a 500th episode giveaway. We want it to be something like non-trivial, and if we if we're going to do that, we are probably a little bit light when it comes to getting to Hamvention this year. Uh, so in in years past, I've put up a GoFundMe to get some additional funds to help us get to Hamvention, and I'm going to do that again this year. But the goal is going to be half as much uh, because I think our donations, our regular donations, are are such that. We don't have to go, you know, whole hog, I guess. We could just go half hog. <laughs> half hog. Half hog. Yeah. So I'm going to be putting a GoFundMe out there. Links will be, of course, everywhere. We'll announce them on all the social media and stuff. And we're, we'll be looking to get a mere $500 from our listeners. So if you're able to do that over the next, uh, probably run for 60 days or so, then we would really appreciate it. And of course, all of the the normal donations, you know, subscriptions and all that stuff goes all into the same place and it gets used for things like this as well. So, and uh, hopefully we'll have a, a prize chosen and acquired here pretty quick since there's only five episodes left <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> before, before be we get to the big one. So, so there is that uh, more information will be forthcoming on both of those like very, very soon. And with that, we are pretty much done. Just have to do the new subscribers, supporters, and live participants. So I'll run through those real quick. We have uh, a new old subscriber, Steve Sainer, who's, I don't know if he switched to Patreon or, or what, but he's a new Patreon. But he's been a long-time listener of the show, so thanks, Steve. Uh, Facebook, we had Zydeco's Cajuns, that's Hutch, K9KJN, and Mark Sheck. Nobody on Twitter, YouTube, David Berklin, and Victor Alpha 7 Hotel Zulu. On the mailing list, we had W8MKG join us. I think we mentioned that last time, but I didn't remember, so I just put it in here in case, so I don't miss anybody. Um, on Discord, we had Wizmedic, Tyun, Tyun, something like that. Uh, not sure how to do the next one. Ah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then Okato, L. Robeson, and Computer Geek twenty six hundred. I think I think we had another one today, did we not? Let me just look in there. Real yeah, quick. I think yes. so. Yep, we had O N seven L S P Luke, and that brings us down to the live chat. We actually had some folks join us for the live chat. We had Jeff K C zero J F F, Russ K C five C N T, Ted W A zero E I R, Darren V K six E K. And MVB is in the live show chat, but he's been in there for like two or three days. So I think his participation in today's show is suspect, but 
<laughs> totally well, sus. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go ahead and list them anyway. All right. Well, that brings us down to the end of the show. So we want to thank everybody who was here listening to us live and uh, chatting during the program and enjoying all the goodness that is listening while we do it live. And hopefully we'll be able to do it at our normal time at some point whenever I get my network issues straightened out. And in the meantime, we hope you have a great week and you'll tune in for the next episode, which will be a weekender. So with that, we'll get on out of here and let you go about the rest of your day. For the On Assignment, Cheryl, W5MOO. I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.